Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Free State Podcast. We have been on a pretty much a one-month-long hiatus, pretty much through the month of July. It's been nice, but it's time to get back to it. And for our first week back, we have uh, Ryan Miner with us. He has a podcast called A Minor Detail, and he runs the uh, the Maryland Political Hangout uh, Twitter page. And uh, I just found you on Twitter, and I liked your takes on most things. And I was like, you know, this is a guy with a you know a good head on his shoulders, good criticisms of local government. And uh, started following you, and we interact a little bit. And I asked you to come on once I found out you you have a podcast. So, uh, uh, Ryan Miner, give us a a quick lowdown of yourself. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey Brian. Scott. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. I think that podcasting is fun, and the more podcasters and local media burgeoning uh, media affiliates that are coming out of the woodwork to provide this really important civic service is great. And I appreciate y'all having me on. Um, Grew up in Western Maryland, lived there, uh, middle-class family. My mom and dad were a business owner and uh, then graduated high school and um, went to Pittsburgh for a little bit to go to college and came back went to work on Capitol Hill, <laughs> which was fascinating. Went to, it was a Republican congressman at the time and he's no longer in Congress. And then I decided that I wanted to not be in the conversation, but rather follow it. And so um, back in 2015, I started this, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing, but I started a minor detail and then started the podcast alongside that. Really, it's it's a mechanism to elevate good discussion and local voices and really emphasize the players in Maryland politics and make sense of the policy decisions occurring at the local, state, and even federal level. And uh, here I am today, and uh, I'm professionally, I work in a, in a healthcare setting, I live in Montgomery County, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, I can't begrudge the schools here. We have two kids. One is a University of Maryland, uh, soon-to-be sophomore engineering student, and one is a 16-year-old daughter who is a lacrosse and field hockey player. And my wife, is um, she's pretty much the bread and butter of our family, and so, yeah, I'm kind of boring, I, despite what some people think. <laughs> I'm I'm quite boring. If you uh have good ideas and you uh speak out against local politicians, people think that you're uh <laughs> some person that you're you're typically not, so I know how that goes. <laughs> well, speaking of that, the other night, um this this local former politician who used to be the um he was the chief of staff to the late Senate president Mike Miller. And this guy was on Twitter and, you know, as, as, as our county elected officials who are paid by our taxpayer dollars, um, they should not be engaging in things that, you know, attacking private citizens. And I noticed that this guy was like kind of joining the bandwagon of somebody attacking me. So I fired off on Sunday night this long email basically saying, hey, man, why are you doing this? I pay your salary. 
Um, I want you to write a policy and then send me your social media guidelines. Uh, you know, I don't really have patience for county government officials that are making almost $200,000 a year coming on Twitter or coming on other social media outlets and attacking private citizens because they have political or partisan disagreements. That's being a hack and it's stupid and I don't like it and I don't like people who do it. And people in Montgomery County, they think that I'm like a far right crazy person. <laughs> you know, I'm like, as my uh, moniker here says, I'm a boring, moderate technocrat MBA. That's exactly <laughs> what I am. But uh, you ha you have good ideas and good questions, and that pisses people off for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, to the social media thing, um, uh, one of our friends, David, was commenting on an Anne Arundel County Police uh, post, and he's uh, tagged Spike Kellen. I don't know if you know who Spike Kellen is, but he uh, systemically and and historically goes after uh, like very local police stations for like unconstitutional arrests and them, you know, making a big deal about it. So I think he had commented once or twice before, but this one time he commented and just completely, you know, as the kids say, ratioed uh, the local police department. And then ever since then, uh, in Ronnie County police department has turned off comments for uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Um, but that brings you to the point of the legality of it is that, you know, a politician can't block a private citizen on social media. No. It's, uh, I can't remember the Supreme court ruling, but maybe Scott, you remember, but it's technically illegal for a politician to block a, a single private citizen, uh, from any social media account. So, you know, a lot of politicians don't know this cause it's a newer law or whatever. And, uh, they can get themselves in some hot water, you know, at least nothing else but but social pressure. And sometimes that's enough to make them actually do something. Well, you know that that occurred here in the state of Maryland. And back in 2018, the ACLU took on a First Amendment free speech when Governor Hogan was uh, the governor. He if you guys recall, he was at one point on his I think his governor, Larry Hogan, page, the official government page was blocking citizens commenting or leaving negative comments and someone sued him and they they won and they basically said that the settlement said that a social media policy uh, that governs governor larry hogan's facebook page um, mandates that they can create like a, a kind of like a personal page or even like a campaign page but you cannot block citizens if you are disseminating public information as a government official. And I agree totally with that. I think it's, I think it's stupid. And governor Hogan, I think at one point had blocked like 450 people from his Facebook page. And then uh, somebody got pissed off and they took him to court and, and they won and good for them for doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. And I've heard that, Hogan was for a good portion for, you know, a state governor. He was the one a lot of the time uh, responding to people on social media from what I've heard. It, <laughs> it was a lot of the time it was him. So it, it may have actually been him that blocked people instead of like a staff member or something like that. Are um, you guys blocked by anybody currently in public office? Uh, I'm not. No, I don't give him too much of a hard time. Uh, I don't because at least the ones that I care about because they are in charge 
quote unquote uh, of where I live. So I don't want to piss them off too much. I got to be yeah. on their good side if I want something, right? Um, well, plus, I ran against, I ran for office against some of them. So, yeah. Um, I, I assume most of them just have some, you know, 20 year old intern or something running their social media anyway. So it's like, kind of, what's the point? But I, I think someone did tell us that it was actually Larry. I forget who told us that. Uh, it might have been Allie that said yeah, it was Allie Rack. Yeah. yeah. Said Larry Hogan's actually the one hitting the keys on his uh, Twitter. So <laughs> huh. interesting. Well, I'm currently blocked by Eric Lukey who is in the Westmore administration and he serves as his chief legislative officer. And Eric Lugi is a former Maryland state delegate in district 14 in Montgomery County. And uh, he's a, he's a pretty progressive type of guy. And I think I upset him one day and he blocked me on Twitter. So it, disappointingly. And I, I thought about just being a dick and suing him, but <laughs> I don't, it would take my time and effort. Yeah, and right. I don't really, there's nothing out there that Eric Lukey says that I really need to see that badly. So yeah, but <laughs> if I were a real jerk, I might sue him. And so maybe one day you'd be like, you know what? Screw this guy. I'm going for it. You know, mm -hmm. you can always, you can always change your mind as long as you're blocked. My so um, that, that leave nasty comments. Like if you can't engage, if, if, we can have disagreements, but if people, attack me personally or attack somebody else personally. I don't want to see it. No, I don't want to see it. No, it's, you know, you want to hear it. You don't want to hear their uh, comebacks. You want to hear their policy. Yeah, of course. All right. So uh, you said you're from Montgomery County. I am so far removed from Montgomery County politics. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of embarrassing knowing how progressive they are. They are by far the most progressive County in Maryland. Um, so, I have a couple of things here that have gone down in Montgomery County in the past. Eh, let's call it a little bit less than a year. Mm -hmm. um, the first one that I have, and I want it from you, a Montgomery County resident, being politically you know, involved and intelligent um, about some of these subjects and, and kind of want to talk about them just a little bit. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is, uh, is gas stove bans. Uh, what's your opinion on that and like what... What led up to this, and where does the the law stand or the policy stand as as of right now? I, I'm not quite certain what precisely was the impetus for them to ban gas stoves. Maybe it was the same impetus that um, encouraged them to to ban gas blowers or add paper straws as opposed to plastic straws, and do maybe add a bad a bag tax i don't know if they have that yet in in Anne arundel county but yes we do so it's like five cents a, a bag and we end up bringing our bags to the grocery store because i do not want to hand a ransom over to our local government and then if you just multiply that by the number of speed cameras that we have here in Montgomery <laughs> county um you know it is a very uh it, it's a draconian type of place um and for a place that um has these mechanisms of public safety in place they sure as hell don't support the police officers um that's a whole other thing but to your point on the gas stove ban i am not certain what precipitated this gas stove ban i am sure that it occurred some basement in, where in in tacoma park or silver spring where um a few of the 
the nation's finest do-gooder bicyclist um, were coming home one night and preparing some sort of um, vegan dish, and they decided to to put on their Birkenstocks and then decided to um, to use a gas stove. Something bad happened, and then of course, when something bad happens to someone in Silver Spring, the the million and a, uh, plus other people in Montgomery County have to experience the consequences of their stupidity. So then. They decided to ban gas stoves. And look, bottom line for me, it's infringement on consumer choice. It It's going to impact people of low-income families disproportionately who rely on gas stoves for these economic reasons. And it, it could potentially cause a, a loss of jobs in the, the gas industry. Not that I want to keep paying the gas bill. But look, it, it's silly. It's It's another one of these... Montgomery County uh, type of far left progressive do good policy initiatives that only benefit the the few and the rest of us are like, OK, that's really stupid. Now we have to suffer because somebody in Montgomery County, the county council members decided that this would be a good thing and they govern by decree. Well, it, I, isn't that funny that you have. You know, the progressive left, they always say that it's a few that make all the money or make all the choices. But then when you go, you know, and they say that that's capitalism, it's it's, uh, you know, what's that called? Final final stage capitalism or something like that. Late stage, late stage capitalism. Um, But then at the same time, when they have control, they do the same thing. Their monopoly is just through governmental powers as opposed to like a, a free market if if you know, best case scenario, a free market system where they have a monopoly over things. And it, it's so funny how it's just a, the progressive left just is always contradicting themselves and they have no, they just read Marx one time and they're like, yes, communism is the answer. That's just my take on it. Um, well, but my question for Montgomery County government is what happens if the grid fails and the local power grid, you know, it relies on fossil fuels. So what happens when the grid fails and it's all electric? How are people going to cook? How are people going to get heat? Or there's there's multiple even environmental impacts that they seemingly overlook. But they're telling us that it's a good thing because they believe it. it's a good thing. And again, the rest of us simply have to suffer. Yeah, and that's that's like California, you know, they're they were the first state, I believe, to uh, put a a cap on when uh, gasoline vehicles or diesel vehicles could be sold, um, just like Westmore did earlier this year. But um, you know, they've had heat waves where they've had to conserve power and ask people to not charge their electric vehicles, the same electric vehicles that they decided we're the only thing that is going to be allowed to be sold in, you know, a decade. So it's they again, they're just contradict themselves all the time. And, and I think it's, it's ignorance. A lot of it is ignorance to not recognize where the majority of our power comes from. It's not renewable energy. It's mostly coal because there's a whole stigma with nuclear energy. Now, so the gas ban began with Hans Reimer. He's a former county council member who ran for county executive in the last uh, election year, last year. And 
he had said at the time something along the lines of that fully electric buildings, they're less costly to operate over the life cycle of the building and they're healthier for indoor air quality uh, because they apparently don't produce carbon monoxide or nitric oxide, um, these pollutants, and they're shown to not contribute to asthma and children and disproportionately affect communities of color. But the county is discouraging. They're not necessarily banning it, but they're discouraging people to use gas stoves. And they want it. They want us to all take a pledge to electrify everything. And this pledge, no, I'm not kidding. You, this pledge basically says, I commit to choosing climate friendly, clean, all electric appliances and equipment when I renovate or upgrade my home. So, yeah, that's what it is. Would you guys take that plunge? Would you do it? Oh, absolutely not. I have electric right now. I used to be a chef. That was my previous life. And when I was really cooking hard, like a lot in the kitchen, like a, a restaurant, I got so used to fire burners. <laughs> it was natural gas. And then I would come home and try to cook with an electric burner. I, I I just couldn't do it. Like my skill just went completely out the window over this electric thing. I know it sounds like very petty, but for me personally, that's a big a big deal for me because if I'm if I can cook with fire, I want to cook with fire. It makes things it's a better cooking you know heat source, yeah. and uh, so it it's just it's so asinine to takes these certain little things away from people. Life's hard enough, right? I want to put my cast iron pan on a flame. I don't want to put it on a glass surface with electric coil behind it. Um, so it's like these, and you don't think about these like little minor things that actually like bring some people happiness. And that's why governmental policies hardly ever work, at least blanket policies, because you're going to upset somebody. Um, you know, for me, it's just I, I just want a gas stove. I don't want an electric stove. I want a gas stove. It's such a better cooking, you know, experience. Um, and it's just little things like that. And people, you know, they they brush those kind of arguments aside. But who knows how many people that's actually affecting? How much more they like cooking on fire? Or, you know, when I was running for office, one of my things was uh, to do away with vehicle re-registration. You still have to register your vehicle when you buy it, but why do we have to re-register it? It's not changing hands. If it's changing hands, then we're handing over the title and it's going through the proper channels and it's known that the ownership has changed. Why well, gotta and it, it sounds so like minuscule, but it's it's such a big inconvenience for people. Uh they're just like talking to people about this. So you never know what like the most minor details are really gonna sway ah, somebody. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Thank yeah. you for for using that pun. There's people out there who don't always understand the pun. Um, and they're like, but your name is not spelled M-I-N-O. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I can't even explain it. You're, you're, you're exactly right, Brian. And um, see, this is where the left comes in. We'll say, God, would this guy just move to Anne Arundel County for God's sakes? <laughs> <laughs> well, those bands will come here next. I mean, that's, I feel like that's their whole strategy with a lot of these environmental policies. We saw it with the bag ban where they do it first in Montgomery County. Then it moves over to Howard or PG and then Baltimore, and then it's an Anne Arundel. Well, Scott and Brian, I wanted to ask you, what is your take on your current county council and county executive who was reelected last year? Um, 
my county council person, uh, Tre- Trevor Volke, is uh, sorry, Nathan Volke. He has a younger brother. I always screw that up. Um, but Volke is my council person, and I am mostly I, I. It could be way worse. It could be like the rest of the county, um, but as a whole, our county council is just going further and further left. Uh, Stuart Pittman, in my opinion, is just a crook. He's uh, a deceiver. He's a liar. And he's just following along with the progressive left agenda on a small scale. Um, even up to, uh, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I, I'm going to say it, is the globalist agenda of you know 2030 agenda. And he has his own 2030 plan. Um, he wants to go up and not out. He wants to prevent farmers from growing. Uh, he's everything that you should worry about with the progressive left, in my opinion. And no. So yes, I don't like him. Well, why couldn't, uh, Jessica Hare beat him? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I have no idea. I think, uh, there was some level of, uh, corruption, I can't, Scott, do you remember like what the, the kind of deal was? Like it was Recently? like something, it was when she was running, it was like her husband owned a company and she, I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with it. Um, um honestly, I was workly. There's been issues with corruption with Republican elected County executives here. Um, can't remember the guy, the guy's name, but it was when I was in high school. Um, yeah, he, uh, Don Dwyer. He, Don Dwyer. <laughs> no, oh. he just can't drive boats when he's drinking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know what? Um, the oh, you're thinking about um, what's his name? John. I can't remember his last name, but he was convicted of something, and then I think he tried he to was having him. sex with like a county worker in a in a car or something somewhere. It was oh, that's nice. There was something salacious like that, but then there was also like some kind of issue with money or something. I, I forget all the details, but the minor details we forget yeah. them. No. All right, well, let's move on to the next Montgomery County topic. And uh, it's it's kind of crazy, like how Scott was saying. Montgomery County seems to be the starting point for a lot of things. Montgomery, PG, Howard. Sorry, guys. And then, yeah. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's not completely your fault. But uh, <laughs> but then it moves to, like, Anne Arundel. And, you know, it just it creeps along and really never makes it to parts of the Eastern Shore or, or like, it's way Western Maryland, but like, that's does. interesting to me too, just cause like they have the majority in the state house, like they could just do it if they wanted to, you know, statewide. But it seems like with a lot of these policies, they're doing this incrementalist approach county by county before trying to do it statewide. I don't, I don't know if, well, I, but... I, I think the reason I think that is because less people focus on the politics that actually matter and that's you know your county or city council i mean that's my opinion is that those outside of your neighborhood if you have a neighborhood committee or something uh the second most important people are your county or city council and then your either mayor or county executive but people don't pay attention to that because it's really easy to pay attention to the national stuff that's all over twitter that's yeah. all over you know social media it's all over the place, so it's easy to keep up with that stuff. It takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of work and involvement in order to follow local politics. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm a big fan of government closest to the people, municipal government. In fact, the mayor of – I live in Gate, the city of Gaithersburg. And I, I think for being inside of a city municipality, 
we have a very moderate mayor and city council. In fact, our current mayor endorsed uh, Governor Hogan, and they are big supporters of the the governor's transportation project that is seemingly now dead in the more administration of uh, expanding 270 and uh, fixing the American League Bridge. Uh, I could talk for hours about that. But in, for example, in Gaithersburg, the mayor, he's my neighbor. He, he lives a block away, and I see him uh, most mornings walking his dog when I'm out there uh, trying to be healthy. <laughs> and I, I talk to my city council members uh, on Facebook. I ask them a quick question. I see them out and about. And what's what I like about municipal government is that if you need a quick question answered or some sort of maybe regulatory struggle, you can get an answer really quickly. And they are most municipal officials in the state of Maryland are very accessible. And that's so critical for good government, because the thing that pisses me off the most is when people are elected to public office and then they are distant, aloof and just do not respond timely. Like if you send a county council member or even a municipal figure, a county, a city council member, an email, they should be able to respond within 24 hours. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they don't, then there might be some sort of problem. Now, look, there's always exceptions, but maybe it's a weekend, but still most of them are even going to give you their cell phone numbers. If you know, you're not a crazy person. Right. Yeah. They they give them out pretty easily too. Yeah. And I, I respect that. And that's why I think people should be get, if they have a, an inclination to run for public office, why is it that this generation feels like they can immediately run, yeah, you know, they start at the bottom. You know, there's they may not have been in any office, and then you get these like political consultants that work for these presidential campaigns. There's one guy that, in particular, I'm thinking of Joe Vogel, who is running for Congress after spending 90 days in the legislature. Why is this generation, this generation, thinking that they can go from zero to a hundred with by bypassing every single aspect of what it takes to be a good public servant which is you gotta you gotta work your way up and run for municipal government if you live in a city count if you live in a city council jurisdiction and if you live in a charter form of government somewhere and you are interested in local government by god put your name on a ballot and go out there and make your community better get involved with local commissions and boards and even nonprofits, and support your community and work yourself up to a higher office. And I, I have, I think it's great when people want to run for office, um, but not me. I, too much baggage. <laughs> um, I, I had a, a fun time running for office and it was an experience for sure, but I'm going to do it again. And like you were saying, I think cause I'm part of that generation is there's a lot of uh, if you can get instant gratification, you're going to go for that as opposed to putting in, long-term work for a lot of things um i mean i'm guilty of that i ran for state senate you know out of the blue i just ran for state senate nothing wrong um, with that but i mean if you if you have a good grasp on the issues and you know you don't live in a city municipality then that might be your opportunity to run for local government to represent your community i still think that's great but i'm talking about people that are like yeah i spent 90 days in the general assembly and he's calling it his tenure and that 
I just think that because I've had to work for everything. I mean, my family, we weren't rich. We, we struggled at times and everything and like probably the three of us everywhere that I have gotten in life, it's because of my own sweat equity. Nobody's ever given me a damn thing and I've never asked for anything. And so when people think that they are ready to be a United States congressman after spending 90 days, we're talking about his first, not even a year into his first year as a state delegate, he thinks he's ready to be in Congress. And I just don't know why that is stuck in my crawl, but it like pisses me off to my core. How old is he? 26. Oh my gosh. 26. You don't have like enough life experience. The guy worked that for Hillary Clinton and Cory Booker. Like, Come on. He was like a coffee guy for them. Right. And maybe not. I'm being a bit facetious. And but I, you're I you're probably right. Well, I don't want to take away from his experience doing that. And I remember talking to this guy when he was first running for the House of Delegates. And he reminded me several times that he went to Harvard. And I'm like, <laughs> great. My wife works with people. I work with people. It's not that big of a deal. Great. You went to Harvard. Okay. So you are, you're special, right? They think they are, but right. there's nothing wrong with Ivy Leagues. I, I honor and respect that process. And I think that it's a fantastic education, but I, I hate to tell you, I have really never been asked in a professional setting, except maybe when I'm applying for a position, I've never, no one asks you, oh, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to school? Like no one asks that anymore these days. The, the prestige doesn't carry in today's world. I don't People think so. People don't care. If, if it's a place of, of true, you know, of trying to get work done, then they don't care. If you can do the job and you're a quick learner, that's that's what they want. My dad and my my stepdad, or my, well, my dad, he is he's a blue-collar guy, and he never went to college. And it, my my grandfather, his father, he he's he's since passed. Um, he was career Air Force and college. It was emphasized. It was an op- it was an option and an opportunity. But my dad, he chose to to build a career. And growing up in Western Maryland, that's what many people did. And there should never be any stigma attached to that. And I don't I just don't understand why. And my dad has worked for everything. He has more street smarts and more just life experience and could talk to anybody anywhere at any time and instantly connect with him. And I tell them that all the time. I said, my dad, I told him, dad, you have a gift. You can connect to anybody at any time. I mean, he, he is a man of the world and it doesn't matter what room he is in. He could talk to anybody and make friends. And I would put my dad's 40 some years of experience up to Joe Vogel's any day. And my dad could go to Congress tomorrow and be a more effective representative than someone that went to the Kennedy school of government at, at Harvard university. I, I don't know if you fo- like, since you're talking about like Congress and stuff, I don't know if you follow um, Justin Amash or Thomas Massey at all. And some of like more so Justin, Amash, I, I like him more than yeah. Massey. Massey is, he gets into the partisan hackery stuff. Like I, I yeah, used but- to like, I, I like Ron Paul and Rand Paul. I mean, Rand Paul's sort of like the, the Shasta of, you know, Ron Paul being, you know, co right. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just bringing them up though because I think they both talk a lot about how 
effectively congress is broken that's the system of it and it's like you're saying like yeah what qualifies this you know 26 year old who's you know been in this, the general assembly for such a short period of time just worked on a few campaigns it's like what really qualifies them but it's like i feel like that's all they're doing up there anyway is just fundraising and campaigning for the next election cycle um and any legislation that gets done is just being handed to them by leadership and they're just being you know vote yay or nay they hate being told wait your turn and i've and when i was younger i'm 37 now i i didn't like that either because i'm i'm a bull and i sort of always marched to, to my own beat but waiting your turn doesn't necessarily have to be looked at as in, in a pejorative sense it it could be that you need life experience and listen i've had multiple moments of my life that were humble pie where I have failed. I've been fired. I've been just raked over the coals by, by people. I remember I worked for a rear admiral and the, the single worst thing that I've ever heard in my professional career is a, a retired rear admiral who runs a business. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm just disappointed in you. And that like, it's crushing because you're like, this man is, has made it to the rank of admiral. And if he says you're disappointed, like, I really must have done something. And that was, uh, you know, there's been many of those moments in my, in my lifetime and career where I've just been at the bottom, but the experience and the people who have actually mentored me along the way to show me how not, you know, how to do things, how not to do things, that experience is invaluable. You'll never get that in a Harvard classroom. No, I mean, and I, uh, I was saying I was in the restaurant industry for so long, I mean, that was my first job when I was 14, and I did it until I was 20, uh, 27, 26, 26. Where'd you work? Uh, so many places. So okay. many places. Uh, at the end of my career, I was at, it was called Live to Eat on um, Light Street at the, pretty much the corner of Fort Avenue and Light Street. Uh, and then they rebranded to In Bloom. And then actually a month after I quit, the restaurant closed down so um that was the the last restaurant in my career but you know started as a dishwasher in places a pizza place was my first restaurant job and just slowly over the years just worked up and and then you re it's good money when you're a kid but when, you, when you're trying to start a family and you realize like eh, it's not getting too much better than what i got right now uh you make a, a career change pretty quick uh, yeah my first job was golf course yeah, but you can make good money if you can manage one, but you got to go to school for it. You, they want you to have that degree for, you know, the golf course, like management and stuff like that. Picked up golf balls in that machine. <laughs> <laughs> people, people were out there on the driving range hitting golf balls. I was like 14. <laughs> I like I, I loved to play golf at the time, and I worked at a golf course called Beaver Creek Country Club up in Washington County. And my parents or grandparents, they dropped me off first thing in the morning. You know, it was like seven o'clock in the morning when the sun's coming up and they'd come get me at like, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. I'd clean the carts. And I just remember back as a kid, I was like, how many people, how, why do all these people leave the, all their beer cans? Like, how can you play golf and, and you drink at the same time? And then when you get a little older and you start playing <laughs> golf, and you drink, you're like, yeah, this is kind of fun. You know, cigars and golf. I mean, it's that's yeah, two, two or three beers makes you better. Oh yeah. Oh, once you get to that sixth one, though, it's like uh, I don't think we're finishing this round. <laughs> you know, you better be toasted. 
Yeah. The, uh, the I've gone golfing once, not a golfer. Uh, <laughs> by the time we got to the back nine, I was like, I'll just be designated driver for now on. Like, I, Even I, had, I had no interest in, uh, in playing golf at that point. I was just, uh, <laughs> driving the golf cart and, and drinking some beers. Yeah. Golf <laughs> is fun though. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm not good at it anymore, but you know, Hey, if you I was go never up, good and I would go to the driving there. range, I would practice and I just, just couldn't do it. Didn't have the motion for it. Um, <laughs> So I want to move on to uh, talking about the sex ed opt-out in Montgomery County. Uh, about a month ago is when this kind of came up. Um, I, w- I want to hear it from you. I know it's a, it's a, they're taking away the opt-out for sex, sex ed in Montgomery County. And uh, do, you, do you know what brought that up or the reasoning behind it and who was pushing it or anything like that? So I, I followed this closely. My am having a, a 16-year-old daughter in one of Montgomery County's high schools. And I will say this, our high school, we're very involved with her athletics and her academic journey through uh, Montgomery County public schools, as we were with our son. And, uh, you know, he, he did really well and our daughter's doing really well. And I will say that on a, like, take it back to the local level in our public school system. Our teachers at her high school are fantastic. Her coaches, her administrative staff, no issues whatsoever. And even the curriculum, they have, she has learned so much. And I feel like that this generation is academically so far advanced than perhaps what we were. And I think it's because it's an access to information. Like, you know, when we were growing up, you know, we're, we're probably all pretty much the same age. The internet was coming to light. It was coming to fruition. We were discovering this world's greatest technological advancement outside of landing on the moon where we were discovering what the internet could do more than looking at nudie magazines, um, which we probably all did. Um, it's okay. We did. Um, so <laughs> yeah. everybody did it. Admit hey, it. Come on, come on. People. <laughs> if you're watching, you know, you did. Um, if you're a male, right? I'll make a joke uh, about downloading, uh, go on AOL. <laughs> On a 56k uh, connection or something. Oh, oh yeah. And then you have a se- secret file on your computer. Um, anyway, and so our public school system is obviously a huge reflection on the priorities of our elected officials. And then we have some not so good board board of education members. And to quantify that statement, I mean that they are very very outside of the mainstream of the American education um, system, the, the general governing policy. These are people who are partisan activists that are now on our school board. And this is upsetting because they are truly not listening to the constituency. And I think it goes back to uh, the LGBTQ issue. And I just want to be clear. I have, um, I have I'm very empathetic and sympathetic to our LGBTQ community. I have friends who are are married to same sex partners. I have no issue whatsoever. And I think many of us, most Americans are are past that point of being like, oh, it's it's you know, we're against that. (laughs) I think and that's a great thing because that's progress. Um, We've come a long way. And for what it's worth, I think. Um, LGBTQ Americans in many sense have struggled because I, you know, 
I was born a what do they call it? The cis is that is that accurate? A, a cis straight white male, and yeah, that's that's who I am. And I, I think that now there is a movement afoot that says parents who aren't necessarily comfortable with some of the more sexualized content, it, they are not going to be able to opt out their children in Montgomery County from reading certain pieces of curriculum um, and supplemental reading materials. And I think it goes, obviously the crux of this is the LGBTQ issues. And I think that we have to separate them. And I think that we should be able to talk about people who are different and embrace the differences that we have, but parents should also have the freedom and the right to say, you know what? I don't think my child is academically or even emotionally or um, intellectually ready to understand this material. We'd rather help them along that journey at home. And you can make the argument, oh, well, if they wanted to opt out of learning about, you know, racial disparities or the Civil War, then we get to this this whole other argument that I think goes a bit off the deep end. And in Montgomery County, um, it's not the traditional, you know, they they think that it's the uh, the Trump waving MAGA wearing hat, pe but it's not. These are people. These are communities of ethnicity, of color, the Muslim community. And now they're short circuited because they're used to playing identity politics so well. And they're saying, oh, well, the Muslim community is usually on our side and we claim to be on their side. But then they took this hard stance on just simply wanting to opt their children out of a certain piece of curricula. And then they short circuited. They didn't know what to do. Then they and then guess what the left does when they short circuit? Then it's identity politics. And then it's insults. And then it's telling parents how we should think, feel, and raise our children. Because, of course, the T Tacoma Park and Silver Spring mentality is how we should all raise our children. And there's nothing more that pisses my wife and I off more when some far-left progressive nut job who should not even be in a classroom or near education policy is telling us how to raise our daughter. And by the way, as a parent, I think it's okay for us to say we've done a pretty damn good job of raising our kids because they are far more advanced and far more respectable than I ever was. And we are tired of these people, especially these school board members that want to step up and say, no, you need to think and feel this way. And you need to see this material. You need to see this content. It, it, that's where I have the problem. If you want to opt your kids out, you should have that opportunity to do it. And I think you have to do it respectfully. And I think that there's a much broader conversation about embracing differences and about embracing the, the, the different communities of people, but still giving parents that flexibility and that choice. You're taking that choice away I mean, these are people who are very pro-choice. You should they're taking that choice away. And what's that saying to us as parents? They know better how to raise our kids. They know. It. And then they're just like, well, you know, put your kids in uh private school. Well, great. 
fine. That's easy to say. If we could afford Georgetown prep, my son would be there. Okay. But we don't, we can't afford Georgetown prep. So that's where I stand on the issue. I really try to blockade out the other, the whole LGBTQ. I mean, really, I, I'm not, that's not what I'm concerned about. It's the broader principle of them as a school system telling us that we do not have the choice to opt our child, our 16 year old daughter out of content that may directly counter our, our beliefs. And I think we, as a country have to to be okay to say, you know what, if, if someone is not comfortable with someone who is transgender or, um, or, you know, the, the drag queen story or whatever that is, I think it's okay for people to say that without them making some sort of aspersion on your character or as you as a human being, right? I, I have family members more of my, I have so many family members that voted for Donald Trump. I didn't, I didn't vote for Trump. Do I love them any less? My dad voted for Trump. My dad and I in 2020, we got into a, a massive argument. We didn't even talk for six months, which was the stupidest thing we've ever done. <laughs> And it really burns the relationship. And we just agreed, hey, maybe we should just can it with this politics crap and just love one another for who we are. It, we are not defined by our political standings or beliefs. Like we're human beings. And if we have differences, we should be adults and be able to discuss it and not say you're a bad person because you don't believe in your child reading this content. That's where we've fallen so far as a country. And I'm sorry about my rant. No, I mean, it's a good rant. A lot of people have that rant and it's, it's, there's a, you know, it's different for, I feel like it's a little bit different for your, you know, average person, but when you're either involved in politics, like either following it very closely or going to meetings or you're, you know, for us being the libertarian party, Scott and I were both executive board members and I'm in charge of like the county affiliate. And so there's like, a, it's easy to get so wrapped up in this in this like political culture that you forget that like at the end of the day like People. it's not worth losing relationships over it's really not because as much as you try here's my my black pill moment for for the for the night <laughs> um is that no matter how hard you try the forces against you are so much more powerful they have so much more money so much more pull they that it's you're doing the right thing by getting a message out, but recognize that you're not going to change the world possibly, you know, ever, at least in your lifetime. So you need to recognize that and just, you know, you know, talk to people as they are and love them. If you disagree with them, okay, we disagree. That's the end of it. No more politics. Let's, you know, go hang out, whatever. We've allowed our political differences to define relationships. And that's where as we as a country have fallen, we shouldn't be at that point. We shouldn't be able, we, if our neighbor has a Trump sign in their yard or a bite or any type of yard sign, and you diametrically stand opposed to that thought and that candidate, that doesn't mean that you need to think that they are of a lesser person just because you have differences. Some of my best friends are very different in political philosophy and they are the most decent, fundamentally decent human beings that I've ever met. And I see it all the time on Twitter. Like, well, if your friends are Trump supporters, then, um, you know, you really should think twice. And I'm like, 
who are you people to tell us that? You know, who are you to dictate my relationship simply because of our partisan differences? Yes, people have different reasons for liking certain candidates and for not. And as adults and grownups, we can discuss that without rancor or anger. And that's the difference between a civilization and a society that is evolving versus where I think we're we're stuck. We're stuck in this this weird vortex of everybody has to go to their respective sides and retreat to their sides and if you don't then the hell with you and it breaks families down it breaks friendships down and i think it's terrible we're just at a bad place in our country right now i'll just add to uh after having recently you know gotten involved with the libertarian party i have found a lot of people that share my political views that are just straight up assholes <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell a lot of good people too, but like, you know, it's just, uh, you know, just because you share political views doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Human relationships are deeper than political views. And then we don't even have to get on the topic of religion. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) not, not tonight, at least maybe another show. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Not enough caffeine. Um, so, uh, let's go on to the next thing I want to talk about is, uh, or ask you is why does Montgomery County hate the second amendment so much? <laughs> what? G- give me some context about that. That's, well, that's I, okay. Big. So, so the, the Bruin case got, you know, you know, struck down by Supreme court and they decided that, you know, every state should be a shall issue state. And then immediately, as soon as it happened, Montgomery County was putting in essentially the same rules that are now, uh, part of statewide rule. So, you know, you were talking about them being progressive and them kind of starting a lot of these things and then they spread. So what, why do you think, like, what is the reason why Montgomery County is so anti-gun? Uh, I mean, are, it could be argued they are the most anti-gun county in our state. Like what do you what do you think that stems from? Other than other than just being them being like progressive leftists. Like is there a backing actual concrete evidence of why guns in Montgomery County are a bad idea? I think it's it's varying layers. And to peeling that onion back, uh, it's a great question, and it starts with where do people fall on their comfortability with uh with having firearms in their home and some some people and i respect the people who say you know what i just don't feel comfortable having a firearm i grew up with i was i was in the boy scouts um i served in the military as well and so my grandparents and even you know as my boy scout leaders i had good people around me to teach me the correct way to use a firearm to respect it and not to be afraid of it and to use it in situations where it is a defense mechanism. If you need to defend your yourself, your property, your family, um, and then not to kind of go buck wild with it either. So I think a lot of people in Montgomery County who are from here, who live here, and I, I don't want to cast aspersions on them either, but I think that there's a general uncomfortability with with firearms and then it's exacerbated by the whole progressive uh 
circles that they travel in, and then understandably so, looking at much of the gun violence in this country, um, they've taken that's taken root in you know many many communities, which is terrible, and we haven't resolved that. So the we really don't necessarily have a solution to the the culture problem the, the, the gun violence is a symptom of a a broken culture and a, and a and a broken people and until we figure that out we can we can ban as much things as we want governments can try to do that and it's still not going to save as many lives as they would hope and i think that there's these groups that are popping up that like Moms Demand Action, which I believe they mean well, but they are some of the most fundamentally dishonest human beings that I've ever met. And the one of the leaders of Moms Demand Action in Maryland, her name is Melissa Ladd. She hates me. Never met this woman, never had any interaction with her. She decided one day that I was the world's biggest piece of garbage and has just absolutely tormented the hell out of me has said dishonest things absolute flat out lies online to the point where i've had to send her a cease and desist letter because i'm tired of people lying about like you don't get to lie about me and you don't get to screw with my professional life either just because you have political differences that's where i draw the line and there are people that show up and say if you are a gun owner, you are bad. Therefore, we do not want to even have the conversation. And there are people like Robbie Leonard, who is Maryland politics' biggest piece of shit that walks this planet. He's a his guys run for office multiple times. He's a he's a crappy lawyer from Towson, and he's on the Maryland Democratic whatever. This is a guy who ran for office, wanted to be a state. Uh, a state delegate at one point was almost defeated. Scott, the guy in Baltimore County, who's now the current um, state prosecutor, he was he came this close to beating him in a in a Democratic primary, and could have been the chief, <laughs> you know, the chief prosecutor in in Baltimore City or ba I'm sorry, Baltimore County. This guy back in 2019 called law-abiding gun owners and gun activists who showed up to Annapolis to simply talk to their legislators terrorist and then said we should dox these people. I mean, we're talking about crazy people, these nutty people that simply just can't have that conversation. And I, that's where I think the, the, the disparity lies. And in Montgomery County, it's only made worse by our elected officials who aren't interested in listening to anyone. And I'm of the school of thought that Americans who are responsible should have the inalienable right to defend yourself. And, and, and if you want to carry a firearm, that is your business. And if you know how to use it and you know how to be responsible, then go at it, you know, keep them in your home. Keep, if you feel safe with that, that's fine. But, I think that, again, we're in an inflection point in our country, especially in Montgomery County, where they do not they won't listen to you. And, and they look at you, you know, they look at lawful gun gun ownership, gun owners as just country hillbillies. They they're 
they look down at us. They look down at people who are gun owners and they roll their eyes when they say, well, we believe in the Second Amendment because we want to protect ourselves. When the time comes that they need some sort of protection and when it's not there, what are they going to do? I mean, I, I would rather be proactive than reactive. Yep, um, exactly. Well, I ask, I ask people that are anti-gun, like, have you ever shot a gun? Have you, and and 9.9 times out of 10, it's no, I haven't shot a gun. Right. Let's, let's go shooting sometime. Like, I'm not, I don't have the best guns, but let's go shoot sometime. See, and then make your decision. You know, it, it's, it's not, yes, accidents do happen. Um, but like your modern firearm isn't like just instantly going to kill somebody. Right. It, right. You have, handgun, you have to you have to rack the slide. You have to be pretty strong to do that. You know what I mean? Unless you store a gun away with one in the chamber that your kid can get into, uh, which is another ish topic. But you have to rack a slide or you have to pull back a charging handle or you have to, you know, move the bolt if it's you know, a hunting rifle or something like that. Like it's not just going to go off. There has to be an action before that happens. And then a level of neglect, you know, if something happens or, you know, obviously something nefarious. And, uh, it's, it's the thing I, cause I didn't get in the guns until later in life. I didn't grow up in a house with guns. My dad didn't hunt. We fished, never had guns. We had bows, but we didn't have guns. So I got into guns later in life. And, you know, I was just thinking it was going to be a kind of a, you know, put the mag in and then you're pulling the trigger and you're just rocking and rolling. Like, no, there's, things that happen and, and things aren't perfect and there's malfunctions and you have to be able to react to that. You know, there's this whole level of, of kind of uh, like mechanical thinking when you're shooting a firearm, because you got to take cues off of what's happening. If something doesn't seem right then something's wrong, you know, there's so much more to shooting guns than just picking I, up a, a black murder weapon and just blasting rounds off. Well, Brian and Scott, I have a question for our state officials, a hypothetical question is that if the gun legislation that they're passing, the, the, the multiple restrictions that the state of Maryland has imposed on lawful, responsible gun owners. And if that is supposed to curtail gun violence, then I wish that they would be intellectually honest and explain why Baltimore city is why Baltimore city is today. Most of us, choose not even to go to Baltimore city because of out of fear. I, I mean, it's the truth. We have to be honest about it. Why is it that their gun restrictions that they're passing? Has it saved a single life in Baltimore city? And maybe it has, but we continue to see Baltimore city as this, this, this place that is spiraling. And it's sad because Baltimore City is a great city, a lot of culture, a lot of history. But are they is is a criminal walking out on a street, uh, you know, having a confrontation between two people? Are they going to consider to themselves at that very moment? Well, you know, um, I'm really glad that during Martin O'Malley's administration, you know, nine years ago, that they passed this this outstanding legislation that's going to clearly prevent me from. Um, using this as my weapon of choice to harm my adversary. It, yeah, it's 
it's foolish thinking. It's it's intellectually dishonest again, and it's just bad policy. So I, I and here's the and here's the the answer. Also, I don't know the answer. I don't know the right answer. We have a people problem. We have people. Our culture is declining. Um, it's just we're living in a in a very strange world where there are people walking into schools and for whatever reason maybe it's mental health maybe it's god only knows and they're killing innocent children it's not a gun problem we have a people problem yeah i was gonna just add uh i think i think part of the problem is they don't Maybe maybe they don't have so, have a solution to that people problem as you describe it, and it's just easy for them to just demagogue the gun, and it's like you bring up the school issue. Um, it's just it seems so disingenuous that they always want to harp on whatever type of gun was used in you know the most recent shooting, but they'll never they never seem to want to address the issue, which is it's a soft target, you know, and and doing security measures to harden it, like. I agree. And I think we we have to be realist, right? Okay. We have a problem. We can solve a problem by approaching it in this direction, or we can continue to dance around the problem and do these very incremental changes and then politicize it, but it still doesn't fix the problem. So we live in in a heightened security world. And I think Israel gets it right on many fronts when it comes to security, um, especially airport security. Uh, so what are we really going to do to be serious to fix the problem? And to your point, Scott, I agree. I mean, do we have to add increased measures that are uncomfortable at the time, but will save lives in the future? And I think the answer is yes, we do. And yeah, I, I, I want a couple armed security guards. <laughs> Just make them think twice. But in Montgomery County, yet they want to remove school resource officers from our public schools. We have a county council member who's now running for U.S. Senate, Will Jawando, who fought (laughs) to remove our school resource officers who are some of the most dedicated people to building community relationships with young adults to take them out of the schools based on his his idea that there was racial animosity from our police force, you know, and it's just, it's, it's troubling and it's sad. And it's sad that we have to explain to our kids. Well, you know, this County council member felt that it was the course of action that they needed to take removing school resource officers who were, who were very important to a school community. What does that teach kids? It teaches kids to be afraid of police officers rather than, learn how to talk to them and embrace them. I would argue that uh, children should be learned a uh, slight skepticism of police officers. Um, Typically for children, it doesn't end badly, but for young adults and adults, it can end badly. So I think children should have a healthy, recognize that if you're in dire trouble, those are the people that you're going to go to if you can find them. If like my son's five years old, mm-hmm. if he doesn't know where we are, if he can't find us, say we're at a fair carnival anywhere, he sees a police officer go to him uh, because that's your best chance, honestly. But at the same time, 
there comes a certain level, like, uh, or I guess age almost, where you are no longer the innocent child that's lost. You could be a potential, uh, uh, you know, perpetrator. You know, that you are potentially doing something illegal, as opposed to when you're a kid, you are just lost. So, healthy skepticism of police, but at the same time, uh, recognizing that police are the ones that can help you, at least when you're small. I just wanted to put that out there. It's a good point. And that's it's the a- way I feel about police officers. That's don't, a good point. Don't answer questions because you're under investigation always. That's the- yes. Right. That's a, that's a, we in high school, we should be teaching our young adults how to responsibly and respectfully flex mm-hmm. their rights. And exactly. I am a major proponent. Um, see, this is where the civil libertarian comes out in me. Okay. Because I've always been taught the right way. And look, You don't have to be a jerk to police officers. You can respectfully invoke your rights and uh, when you're in the presence to say, hey, am I being detained? Okay, yes. All right, well, I'm not going to say any more. And if you want to speak with me, then you're going to have to talk to an attorney. And I have that right. And if I'm not being detained, then I'd like to be on my merry way and get back to my life. Now, I have a a good friend (laughs) um, who is a a youtube a youtube sensation his name's sean porter many of you you may have heard of him uh sean porter is a guy that with with a fantastic youtube channel um (laughs) he is he's a bit of a wild man and that's kind of the endearing quality about him but he flexes his rights um in the presence of police officers and he does so in a way because he knows the law He's not based out of Long Island, is he? No, he's he's in he's in Maryland. Um, oh, okay. So Porter, he he has a YouTube. You should look him up and look at his YouTube channel. Um, I and I watched a lot of these videos, and I think that some people go to the extremes, but you don't have to be a jerk. You simply can respectfully flex your rights. And look, we you know the, there's another conversation about the you know. Uh, the, racial disparities in policing and and yes that does exist and i know it exists we all know that this country has had a reckoning and still is going through that process nevertheless you shouldn't be looked at as an you know an idiot or a jerk or anti-police simply because you say you know what i'm not going to talk to you or you know what get a warrant you're not coming in my house you're not looking in my trunk is that a plain sight to you know, you're not going to come in my car. You're not going to search my property. I'm not going to give you my name because we're not a stop and identify state because I don't have to and I don't want to. So if I'm walking about and law enforcement stops me for whatever reason, and I don't feel like giving them my name. And if they can't articulate uh, yeah, their reasonable suspicion about why they think that I have or am or will commit a crime, then that's uh that's my right as an American citizen, and I will flex that. Um, and I think the greatest invention of the 21st century policing is body cameras. So, Well said. Couldn't say it better myself. Because, I mean, I, I might take it a bit further. Being a libertarian, I want more privatization. Being more towards private policing. Uh, Scott, I'm pretty sure you would agree with me wholeheartedly. Um, because as police stand... 
they are the armed wing of the government and they what they believe or is true is what they enact on right you know they they're supposed to uphold the constitution but how do you uphold the constitution when local laws uh contradict the constitution so it's it's that weird line and um if that, maybe that's another conversation I'll have you on again we'll talk about just uh police reform for yeah. for hours I, i'm totally down I for that about, and i i think that we th- there in the last 10 years we've gone through accountability mm-hmm. and that's been a an important discussion about accountability for citizens accountability for police officers um and then holding people accountable for their actions including citizens as well as there are bad apples out there in in every field and just because there's one or two bad people that that should not condemn an entire police force um either but i i think that we need to as a country begin the education process much earlier and teach people really how to interact with police and tell them and teach people not to fear them. Because look, there's a lot of our friends and family. Look, somebody you get pulled over and people are automatically, they feel this need to, to talk, to (laughs) to explain. And if I were a lawyer and, and I would tell somebody who's being pulled over, especially, you know, a teenager, just shut up. Don't say anything. You have that right. And, you know, people end up talking themselves into getting arrested. Yep. Uh, me. Hi. Hi. Have it's me. Um, 18 years old in, in Ocean Pines. Uh, uh, I talked myself into getting arrested. I totally well, did. Me, it was, and, it was a fraternity party. And I was like the asshole fraternity guy back in the day. And the cops would have left and they were Pittsburgh city police officers and they were cool, except I was being a jerk. And, uh, they were like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to cite you all for alcohol. And, uh, yeah, my roommates and fellow fraternity brothers, they were not happy with me. They were yeah. like, you should never talk again. No. Yep. Uh, and I didn't learn my lesson cause it happened again too. <laughs> I, I, uh, I learned the hard way. I think it's the the Polak in me. Um, we're, 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 hey, we're we're older and we, we, we're, we're wiser. We can, um, your political it. opponents will bring it up and threaten to use it against you. Have however. they brought it up though? No. Uh, yeah, it? Brian Simoner, uh, I, who I ran against, he threatened to bring it up, and I was like, "Go ahead, it's out there in the public." Um, you know, I told him I was like. You have 16 years of voting history in the legislation, so uh, we'll see what people think is worse. My multiple, you know, minor charges or your voting history, so. Well, uh, then again, I'm sure his own daughter won't even vote for him anymore. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, your history is speckled as well, sir, so. Um, So we're over an hour, but I did want to touch this on this because it, it happened as I was about to send you the, the show you guys the show notes uh the trump indictment came out uh so i just want to touch on this real quick just because it's it's nice and fresh and uh have that that uh i thought you were really do this. a christian mink oh no i i want to talk about this trump thing and then yeah. uh send Fair. us send us off on our way mm-hmm. um 
So this is from the Washington Post. It says a third indictment against former President Donald Trump was released Tuesday. Trump faces four charges in connection with what prosecutors allege was a plan to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Um, and the released document says uh, count one is conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count two, conspiracy, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count three is obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And count four is conspiracy against rights. Um, I didn't get a chance to read through it uh, and what kind of, you know, how they break it down and stuff like that. But uh, I'm imagining that this is all stemming from January 6th and his outrage with the election. And uh, my opinion is probably just like the other indictments that he's gotten. It's not going to stick and it's just going to be a waste of, of time and effort and energy. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, I respectfully disagree. I think he is one of the most toxic elements in American politics. Um, I think that he absolutely knew what he was doing. Um, and I think that he, uh, I, I think Jack Smith is an effective prosecutor. And I think that, um, I, I have to see how it all plays out. Of course, um, I haven't read the recent round of indictments, but um, I, I think that Donald Trump should not be running for president right now. He should be focused on staying out of jail. And he may very well stay out of jail, but he's going to get convicted of something. And I think that uh, a jury of our peers will obviously make that determination and they'll hear the facts but um i think january 6th is um one of the lowest points of our country just watching that and it was horrific um and there's no you know it's just what, what i witnessed was horrible and um and i think that trump's subsequent claims that the election was stolen has damaged this country's institutions. And I think that um, I think he's pathetic. I think he's just absolutely a pathetic person. And I think the show's over for him. So that's my thoughts. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I was just uh, reading, trying to read through the indictment and we'll listen. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite a lot. It's really just five pages. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It seems like a lot of it, or or at least what I was seeing initially was related to their whole scheme of uh, the alternate slates of electors uh, that they were trying to get installed. Um, There's co-conspirators, right? You know, I forget what it said. There was a, yeah, just, I saw some language that jumped out at, at me that was, known and unknown code conspirators to the grand jury or, you know, so I don't know if that means there's certain people that are cooperating that are the known and and yet to be charged co-conspirators. Um, I, I don't, all of this it's, stuff, it, I've, I just feel like they're going to go and get them somehow. And at the end of the day, they're, by going after him there if anything i don't know it's i feel like it's just gonna backfire if that's the point to like 
have him win the Republican nomination because it seems like every time they do one of these, his poll number, you know, there's a new poll that comes out. It's he's doing better. Um, yeah. Is there an alternative to him, though? I mean, in the Republican Party today, it's certainly not DeSantis. I mean, his his campaign has sputtered. That guy has the personality of gonorrhea. And it's just <laughs> I saw you, you tweet that the other day. And I, I, was, <laughs> I, I was I have a I have a draft that I don't think I sent, but I was gonna say uh the difference is gonorrhea is uh, treatable and his condition is terminal. <laughs> it's just terrible, right. Yeah. Just looking at the kid is like, oh yeah, that's a lot of sugar. Like Ron DeSantis is not someone who is comfortable in his own skin. And it's and it shows. And I think he's running for president because people told him that it was a good idea to do it. He's not going to be Trump. He has no personality. And that's what I think a lot of people take Trump for granted. And I will say this, I, I find him to be despicable, but I do find him to have the ability to charm people in a way that most politicians cannot. And looking at the field, the interesting candidate for me in this, this this crop of of crazy <laughs> is is Tim Scott from South Carolina. Um, you know, he's a he, I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think that it's going to take off. But another interesting candidate for me, if it, OK, let's just say if whatever happens with Biden, Biden, Biden will obviously be the nominee. Um and if he goes up against Trump, I think Trump loses to Biden. Now, if let's say if Larry Hogan on the no labels, whatever, I think Larry is doing something. I'm just not sure what yet. I, I don't but, know how they're going to get ballot access to be able to make that even viable. He's and that's going to be you're exactly right. I, I don't know how it's going to be viable. And I think that they're wasting their time. Larry Hogan would be better off running for U.S. Senate in Maryland. He would be. I think he would win. I really do. I think he would either win or come very close to winning. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know that he would, just because it's different. It's a different office, and I don't. I think there's enough people that would vote for him as governor that would rather have a Democrat and have Democrats in control of the Senate and would vote for whoever his opponent is just on that reason alone. Fair, fair point. And I and I think that you, that analysis is is spot on, and you know. Do we want to elevate Mitch McConnell vis-a-vis Larry Hogan or, you know, do we want to maintain, you know, it's either going to be Trone or also Brooks. Um, And the Republicans, they don't have anybody except I I think. I feel like like they kind of felt the same way with um, I can't remember his first name, but Steele, who was the lieutenant governor uh, for Ehrlich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ran for U.S. Senate against, and I think he uh, had his ass handed to him. <laughs> he did back in 2006 when he ran against Ben Cardin, and that's when Ben Cardin right. was elected to to the Senate and sacrificial lamb. And then, I mean, look, Dan Cox as the Republican nominee of Maryland. I don't know what Republicans were thinking. I mean, nah, I, it, it was it was uh, it was definitely co it was co opted by the Democrats. It was they fundraised for him because they knew. That he would lose. And I've tried telling people, like, there's a bit of a, a strategy to voting for people in office. And I was telling my, you know, more Trump people that 
do not vote for Dan Cox because he will get completely demolished by Westmore. But they couldn't. They couldn't help. They themselves. couldn't help themselves. <laughs> and I told I was. Um, it, was it was like reverse TDS. They yeah. could have sucked it up and held their nose and voted for Kelly. Kelly yep. would have. I honestly believe if Kelly Scholes, who's a, a truly a good and decent person, she, she's. And you may disagree with her, but and they tried to paint her as like a moderate whatever. And right. I've known Kelly for years. She is a, a, a die in the wool, true blue conservative. Um, and somebody who is truly lived the American dream and, and has been blue collar and has worked her way up. And Kelly simply had the wrong people. She had bad advice and she had terrible campaign strategies. And it just resulted in a disaster. And it was embarrassing for Hogan. I mean, Hogan was a week. A week before the election in Maryland last July, Hogan was up in Maine, like shaking hands and hanging out at Kenny Bunkport with former President George W. Bush. He wasn't in Maryland stumping for Kelly no. Scholes, his hand-picked successor. He was, in, he was up in Maine. He knew she was going to lose. And he even said something about, you know, David Lasher, the libertarian candidate. He didn't say it. He was like, well, I'm looking at third party candidates too. Like he spoke more outward about voting third party than anything. Something bad. I don't know what happened there. And I just think the inside story on that was she stopped. Look, I love Kelly to death. I think she's a fantastic person, but I don't know if she just stopped listening or just kind of, I don't know. I mean, Cox, he, he took the moment. He ran with it. I said it from the very beginning. Cox is going to be the nominee. You wait. Like people were like, no, you're nuts. You're crazy. February of 2022, people were telling me, you are insane to even think that. I'm like, okay, just wait until July. He's going to be the nominee. Yep. Yeah. I think they, they probably just took it for granted that, you know, oh, there's yeah. a lot, there's a very motivated like Trump base of, you know, in the Republican party that was going to turn out hell or high water. They were pissed at Hogan too, for the lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, I, I, that's what I was going to say about Hogan. I think as far as Maryland voters go, kind of like O'Malley, they he had such good approval numbers his entire, uh, you know, tenure, and but on his way out, I think he pissed everybody off. <laughs> I, I think between lockdowns and you know his really he was really hard about lockdowns. He pissed off the more right-leaning Republicans, and then some of the things that he did in office with not, you know, funding this or funding that pissed off the left. So by the time he got out of office, people are, I think, are done with Larry Hogan. I don't think, uh, to add to what Scott was saying, I think people are just done with Larry Hogan. I think what was his good approval numbers when he was in office are also his crux out of office. Um, and I think that's his political career is done. I think um, to even be talking about a completely unknown third party, it's that's political suicide. It always is. Uh, look at libertarians. We've been around for she's uh, 52 years and we're still seeing that as a joke. So it's like you should have made a decision. But now now you kind of ruined it for yourself. I mean, we are a joke, right? No. <laughs> Well, I, we but, try. We try really hard, Scott. But you yeah. know who, who changed the conversation and will forever be a hero to the modern day libertarian movement 
is Ron Paul. And I love Ron Paul for many reasons. And I think that the old man, people thought that he was crazy. But if you really listen to his idea, he look, he wasn't at all. I mean, he's a very bright guy. I think that his his packaging wasn't the best because he just kind of reminds you of like a cranky old congressman. But that's sort of what I like. I, I think that he just he put it out there. His ideas resonated with a lot of people. There was a movement, and I respected that because Ron Paul, most of what he has said has come true. Um, yeah. I think Rand's a. I, I don't think Rand could even touch his father. I think he's tried, but you know, Rand Rand's a, a partisan hack. And the thing, the difference is, is with Ron is that he really believed the the, the philosophy behind it. He talked about the the intellectual side of libertarianism and the and the think leaders whereas rand's a you know he's a senator from kentucky who's uh decided to to join a a, you know the trump bandwagon and be take on the anti-fauci stuff and he's lame he's just he's not an original thinking guy whereas ron started a movement yeah i I think Rand paul too i i I get the sense that maybe he's a, a little I don't know, almost embarrassed by some of his dad's more yeah, extreme positions. His father's and, more popular. And yeah. yeah, but like he could never get beyond, you know, he's kind of capped because he wouldn't, uh, you know, moderate or soften some of the more hardcore positions he had. And I think that's kind of what, I don't know, that's kind of how I interpret the way Rand behaves a little bit. I don't know. Well, you got to think, Ron... Ryan, Ron is like the the Libertarian Party as it is now is definitely more a Ron Paul libertarian Mm -hmm. than the libertarians from the past decade or so. Um, If you go back and watch the old debates of Ron Paul, like 2008, 2012, they they were good. That was a real debate with like good. you, You had. okay. I like Romney. Newt Gingrich used to be the intellectual firepower in the Republican Party. But like, you know, when Ron joined that that discussion, it elevated the conversation because it put people it really made people think hard about the issues and it connected with me, too. And at at that point, you know, back then I was kind of still discovering, like, what what do I actually believe? And then I started reading. Hayek. I started reading a lot of the libertarian thinkers, and I'm like, yeah, this is kind of what I I believe in. Yeah, yeah. I feel and, like he would say I, things I, that were just so out of the. Yeah, he's got it. his past. I got, I got, I had the the pleasure of of meeting him. He was the um, personal protector. Yeah, I was yeah. personal protector of Ron Paul uh, in February in D.C. and he's it off. was crazy. It was a crazy experience. Super nice guy. Like just. So down to earth. I mean, he's old. He the guy is old now, he's, and he. He's, would, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's yeah. He uh would talk to anybody that wanted to come up. I mean, you know, people being respectful, like just a second of your time. But he would light up. Yeah, yeah. eighty-seven. Yeah, that's it's insane because he was there. It was it wasn't cold. Thankfully, it wasn't cold. Um, but I mean, it was windy and and blustery and. Uh, he just would light up every time somebody would talk to him. It was a, such a cool experience. 
Um, I had to be pretend to be like tough guy and like try to protect him or whatever. But uh, he's um and and you know he's from Pittsburgh, is he? Yeah, he's from he's from Pittsburgh. Um, he's from Green Tree, which is right outside the city. Um, so he's an old Pittsburgher. Yeah, great guy, and I listen to his podcast every day because it's very sane to the point and mm-hmm. Ron Paul perspective typically is the correct one. 99% of the time. Um, so we're coming up on an hour and a half, uh, and we didn't even get to everything, Ryan. So, uh, I'm just going to have to ask you to come back again sometime. I would love and, it. Uh, yeah, Thank man. I've, I really appreciate you to come on. This is a, a fun conversation. It's so, you're somebody that doesn't completely agree with us on everything, but, agree on enough that we can carry on a conversation and not get yeah. pissed at each other. Um, so I'd love to ask you to come on again sometime. Um, my pleasure. And uh, I'll, I'll save that Kristen Mink uh, topic <laughs> for next time. <laughs> um, it's a good one. I, so, I want and, you to know that I don't, I don't quote unquote hate her. I think that she's just, uh, well, we'll, we can talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about. She's it. the one that called the parents racist, right, or white supremacists. So th- mm-hmm. that were. She's also the one who had a flat tire in January and asked the local police to uh, to come bail her out after trashing them for you know years. Right. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a typical politician. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would love to have you come back on. Uh, do you have any plugs? Anything you want to want to do? I know. Uh, I don't know. Has your podcast? Have you like done a, a new episode recently or anything? I haven't, and I'm. I haven't done one since 2021. I just, I took a break because it's a lot, as you guys know, it's a lot of work to book guests to, you know, I would, I would turn out a transcript and I would really try to turn it into uh, several pieces of, of content to, to be reused and redistributed. Uh, But I think that given the election coming up and there's lots of candidates that have a message and we need to, to talk seriously to the candidates and not do these, these softball BS like, Oh, tell us about yourself. And no, like I want to do hardball, real issues, talk to the candidates and hold their feet to the fire and actually understand what it is they're actually running for. And no, no high lofty crap. I want to hear the nitty gritty of their plans what they want to do for their specific district. And I think that that's where I want to try to bring the podcast back. And I want to condense it to um, a much more rapid fire discussion and put them on their feet. I mean, we'll be fair. Of course, I, I won't get them all because some just won't come on, but I'm always fair. I think I want to bring it back, but um, we're, we're revamping a minor detail.com. And I think we're going to focus on some, you know, hyper local, issues and um i i'm i'm excited to see the campaign season i always thrive during the campaign season i think it's the most interesting and i in living in the sixth congressional district i'm also going to try to really focus on that race it's maryland's most competitive congressional race in in 2024 and it could go either way david trone is not running again for re-election he's running for u.s senate so I think that if any district could flip in 2024 from a Democrat hold to a Republican hold, it could be the sixth. Right. I mean, I, I didn't know about 
you until after I started this podcast in January. Um, and if I did, I probably would have reached out to you sooner because as as far as I knew, I didn't know anybody doing a, a show or you have a whole kind of media going on. Um, but that somebody was doing that at a kind of a hyper local level. And that's what I wanted to start. So, uh, I think you're doing it, a great job and thank and you. Keep doing nice. Yeah. took a nice month off and, uh, getting back in the swing of things. Good. Um, next week we have a nice, a nice podcast. Spike Cowan's going to be coming on and, uh, it should be fun for us, but uh, I would like to get to the point where I am, I'm having candidates. I'm having elected officials come on even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, I want to ask them questions that they won't ask them on WBAL or <laughs> yeah. you know, other, other local stations. Uh, I love, I love Tori snow. Uh, he wanted to come on the podcast, but management told him no, maybe one day. Why was but, that? They won't let him come on. Yeah. They, yeah. No, pretty much. Just, just, they need their media outlet. And yeah, he's, he's their guy. Right. So I get um, it. I get it. I said, we had him come to one, our uh, monthly county libertarian media meeting and be a speaker, and I think he even had to have that get cleared. Yeah, he uh, did. Yeah, management. So, but uh, he's great guy. Talk to him en- enough. I have his phone number and everything, and I'll, I'll text him every now and then. And he's a great guy. And maybe one day we'll have him in. But we there's a void there, right? They are besides independent media. WBAL is probably the hardest questioning news source in our state at least that i know of Mm -hmm. um so there has to be people like you and me and scott where we we actually question these people right there's nobody that i know of doing what we're doing that isn't some sort of corporate backing or something like that or has a huge pocketbook to either newspaper tv or something like that so um it's nice that i'm not alone it's kind of, I was kind of like, oh, this guy's doing what I'm trying to do. I was like, but wait a second, there should be more of us doing things. I agree. Uh, so if you ever need a uh, uh, Anne Arundel County correspondent for your show or something like that, let me know. It's and, it's a uh, big news desert there. And absolutely, because there's a lot happening in that part of the state that we don't always cover. Because, you know, I, I sort of am regional to an extent, Frederick. Mm-hmm. Montgomery, Washington County. That's how we are too. We it's like Anne Arundel, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, and that's about as far as my reach extends. You know, it, right. it's if it, unless you're really just reading every day about local politics, you're gonna miss stuff. And but people like you who live in that area don't miss stuff. And you know, I keep pretty close eye on Anne Arundel County stuff too. So, um, you know, use each other as a resource in the future and stuff like that. You know, we, we have the same, we have the same goal, identi- identical ideals. And, uh, it's, it's great to know that Scott and I aren't alone on a desert with this hyper local kind of political like news and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's good to hear. It's great. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you all having me on tonight and I enjoyed this conversation immensely and uh it's a it's a good reprieve um you know, we we all have our <laughs> we're working families taking care of kids you know ups and downs in life but to chill out and talk to good people um on a on a on a, a medium like this and just have a conversation this is really what i enjoy doing yeah and i enjoy it too and i appreciate you coming on 
and uh we'll definitely have to keep in touch with things and uh absolutely you know help each other out when uh things get going and things are busy and you can't keep track track of everything yeah uh scott anything left left to say uh, uh no just, yeah it was really enjoyed talking to you yeah likewise yeah, scott. coming on thank yeah, you it was, it's it's always refreshing to talk to somebody who's not a libertarian but um has some sense like has sense you know what i mean it's like I have libertarian yeah. leanings. <laughs> right. It's it's like you got you got a brain, you got a head, good head on you. You may not agree exactly on everything, but it's it's refreshing to hear even when I was running for office, it's refreshing to hear people that actually have some sense and can look through the the bullshit and see what's really going on. So I appreciate you for that. And uh we'll be in touch. I again appreciate you coming on. Um, if you're watching or listening, uh, please give us a review on uh, Apple or Spotify. It helps with the algorithm. Uh, like, comment, share, all that good stuff. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, and with that, I have nothing else except for I'll see you next week with uh, yes, Spike Cohen. Ryan, Scott, good talking to you. Everybody have a good night. Have a good night, guys. Good night.